Okay, welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson, speaking stiltedly of Guelph Politico, but joining me is... Uh, Scotty Hertz. Uh, Adam, I was wondering, do you think we're going to be on the rapporteur list? Oh, I hope so. That fake job uh, being offered I mean, in Ottawa, according I mean, to some? I mean, talk about like uh, smelling like uh, the primrose path there. I think that's uh, that's like top shelf. That's like that's yeah. almost like getting a Senate seat, but with like zero commitment. Yeah, I think we're qualified. Yeah, I don't. I, I can't imagine what the qualifications are because I literally didn't hear that word until Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> They're looking for a rapper. What? Yeah, that was me. I'm like rapper. Oh yeah, that's the UN thing. It's just to drive certain people bonkers. I think. Yeah, somebody was up all night in the parliamentary library looking for something that looks like a solution and sounds like a solution, but wasn't a solution. So kudos to that person. Uh, they may have just won a killer prize. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Open Source is a CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show. You can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world. And we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians, which this week will be Kitchener Center MP, Mike Morris, and maybe he will be able to tell us what that is, the reporter or whatever it is. Anyway, we'll ask him about it and the current atmosphere in the House and what's going on with the Green Caucus and uh, his own personal projects on affordability and accessibility. That is going to be at the bottom half of the show. For the first half, we are going to talk about some news items from the last week, including a rail strike. About 3,000 rail workers are set to go on the picket line uh, trying to get a deal with CN Rail. That's going to be in a few weeks, but should this make us concerned about rail safety issues here in Canada? I guess we will find out. But first, uh, speaking of uh, disasters, uh, (laughs) anyway, the Ontario Liberals had their convention in Hamilton this past weekend. Uh, they were all the <laughs> surprising amount of excitement for people who can get official party status to elections in a row. But um, yeah, it, it just to me, this felt like an interesting topic because what and who are the Ontario liberals right now? And as they're kind of going about this rebuild another rebuilding season, um trying to find a leader uh interestingly nothing out of this convention in terms of like officially starting a leadership convention or settling on a date for a leadership convention or anything like that um what is the liberal party going forward and uh i i feel that the need to consult uh no one more authoritative about the ontario liberal party than scotty Hurd. so take it away, <laughs> take it away scotty yeah they're just <laughs> hanging out in the hammer for the weekend in a <laughs> post blizzard scenario or whatever bad storm but yeah I, I think it's a lot of it's to do with they've always been the other contender they've always mm-hmm. been the waiting in the wings when they're not the government themselves so that's mm-hmm. that's why the focus and i think the media in general maybe with the exception of us and some others default to that right mm-hmm. especially they're looking for their new hope that was one of the main points they focused on other than well Catherine McGarry friend mm. of the show in mm. was she on as MPP and mayor as well I think she was on for both anyway new president of the liberals so that happened mm-hmm. but also it related to the the search for the new hope was that they're changing their 
uh, the way they elect the leader now by with one member, one vote, which I think is common to probably every other party. I can't think of anyone else that uses the delegate system anymore. The mm-hmm. times are changing. Mm-hmm. And they seem to be, I don't know about trotting out the contenders, but one would be Bonnie Crombie. So we're, we're going to go into speculative mode, I guess, at this point, because Bonnie Crombie drove through the blizzard to, to be in Hamilton and was greeted as if she was the uh, heir apparent. Yeah, she was the one uh, resplendent <laughs> in a red dress. Great photo op. You know, this is exactly, I think, the kind of thing that they're looking for and that they tend to focus on, too. I think they really are a party that's like we need and you know all parties i guess do this want somebody that can bring the energy and the um the spark i guess that they that they've been missing who is it <laughs> who's going to recharge the fortunes even though there's lots of people waiting the wings contenders she's very experienced well liked uh and and a known i think part of it is a, is a known outside of the party a lot of the the names that they listed i'm like who but that's you know that's not their fault and they're probably you know, perfectly qualified but it's mm. they it was like when they were trying to recruit mike schreiner mm-hmm. you know, they want they want a turnkey leader it's like okay let's but weirdly and i don't know if you heard it out and they took a shot at uh at Merritt styles like well the ndp you know they didn't even have a race it's like well maybe they didn't need to have a race right maybe they all mm. thought Merritt is the person with the job we don't need to go through the motions just to go through the motions um but a lot of the uh, delegated, you know, the energy created at a, at when they had the delegates, which were their last, yeah, when Del Duca was elected, mm-hmm. I vaguely remember seeing some of that on the news. That's the kind of thing that used to generate excitement, I think. But it's you're just past that now. Uh, I I think we did have a point about Merritt Styles. I I think I don't think it's a great look when you have a coronation. And especially the way that was handled, where she signs up and then nobody else signs up, and it's like, well, I guess it's merit. Congratulations! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, because it was it wasn't intended to be a coronation because like there were a lot of people who were being branded about people like Catherine Fife who took her name out. She was like essentially the deputy leader for mm-hmm. for a while. So I mean, those I mean that's a problem. The problem on the liberal side is, uh, like you said, it's a list of who, uh, and you know when when you're getting like, how about Navdeep Baines? Everyone loves Navdi Baines, right? And you're like, do we? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and even even Bonnie Crombie is like, well, I guess she's the mayor of Mississauga. She hasn't like embarrassed herself in that job, but at, at the same time, it's like, what does she run on? Like, I, I, I ran a suburb of Toronto that, <laughs> you know, um, competently somewhat. I mean, even that, you know, there's. Uh, there was, a, you know, a couple of interpersonal scandals in Mississauga Council too that probably she could get dinged on pretty heavily. I think, I think what you what you're getting at is they want that kind of like they want somebody to walk in. They want that moment of like, we need a leader. I'll be a leader. Perfect. Um, you know, even though they did mock Merritt Styles, and that's the thing with Mike is like they wanted Mike. They wanted him to come in. Um, and tell them what to do, and they wanted to attach themselves to Mike, and there was kind of like no consideration, like. Does Mike want to do this? Um, you know, because just politically speaking, Mike Schreiner's life would probably be pretty easy if he was a liberal. Um, mm. But um, that—that's the topic of another time. Of course, there's also there was also like uh, 
the one guy I can't remember his name who was bringing the amendment um, forward to say that if you weren't a liberal member at the beginning of the year, if you weren't signed up before January first, you couldn't run to be leader. And because and there was a li- there were little literal quote from an anonymous liberal uh, staffer in a in a Star article that said uh, mission accomplished. Winky, almost you could almost see the winky emoji. <laughs> it's, it, was, it was unspoken, but. Um, there is a lot to be i mean i i think it just like it starts with the essential question who are the liberal party what does the liberal party offer that you cannot get from the ndp or the green party or the pcs for that matter and i mean Catherine mcgarry is a very nice lady mm-hmm. but she was mp for a term lost she was mayor of cambridge for a term lost there seems to be something rare with Catherine mcgarry that's like okay we'll get let her have her try oh no she couldn't i mean and there are extenuating circumstances like cambridge is a bellwether 2018 was a change election so that was that was a no-brainer um cambridge has this weird thing where they have like this very loud constituency that doesn't want a cts and mcgarry was pro cts Mm. and and lost to the anti-cts candidate so i mean that's there are extenuating circumstances but on the other hand it just you know she does not seem to have the ability to hold on to people and if we're leading on her to lead us out of the the wilderness um i'm not sure how that's gonna work and again it, it comes down to the fact it's like what was the big story coming out of the weekend Catherine mcgarry is the president of the liberal party volunteer position no date for leadership no like list of contenders ready to go it just seems like a lot of excitement because if the conservatives are going to lose the next election that must mean the liberals are going to win and they've yada yada the whole portion of this how do they get from there to here and they just have no idea how they're going to be the next the, the government in waiting they just know that they are with eight seats that that's it and this there's still time so they need sure uh, they, time is relative in politics and that it's three years out if you don't get the wheels in motion now mm-hmm. and somebody gaining traction then there's going to be a problem although i can't remember who it was i think it was scott reed maybe saying that they need to stop looking for a savior mm-hmm. and that's that that's part of the issue right but if at, at the same time if they could get somebody like a bonnie crombie or whatever that doesn't have the what is seen as uh, taint it's that ridiculous when you know most recently the the, Mc, the mcginty win liberals or right. whoever liberals that that doug ford and company slide into the george brown liberals i don't like whoever right, right? <laughs> they're just george gonna brown they're gonna liberals. do that so if they had yeah he was number one right wasn't he wasn't the first yeah. yeah yeah anyway uh pulled that out of the air but the <laughs> it was good but that's that's the kind of thing that they're going to have to contend with. And I think the, the searching elsewhere, let's say it's still within the fold. Cause I, I'm afraid I don't know if Bonnie Crombie's card. Carrying. This is the problem when it's municipal people, it's like, you don't know whether they're card carrying, right? Mm-hmm. He probably is. Catherine McGarry definitely is, but I, mm-hmm. and well, considering she was a, a liberal MPP at one point, it's not a surprise there, but you never, you know, it doesn't really, it's supposed to not apply at the municipal level. But then you've got other examples of municipal people that got the call up, like Jack Layton is a good example. Mm. Uh, and But that was after years and years in the trenches, right? They're, they're, they are out there. So, mm-hmm. and he was always, he was never not NDP. But that's, mm-hmm. if you're going to spend the whole weekend just deciding who you're going to draft and not really come up with other stuff, then 
it, well, you know, what is it for? It's it's a hangout, really, right? Well, uh, Jack Jack Layton also played like he had nothing to lose, which is what made him appealing mm-hmm. um, to in, in a lot of corners. And and the question is, can the Liberals play that way? Because they almost literally have nothing left to lose. What, what do they have the, the left to lose? Eight seats. Um, it, 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 this was also a comment from that Toronto Star article that the the, the party is seen widely as an Ottawa Toronto party. And well, you kind of need to grow beyond Ottawa, Toronto, if you want to be a provincial governing party, and that means taking back seats in places like London and Windsor and Hamilton and the GTA, Mississauga, Oakville, Burlington, Halton, uh, Guelph, Cambridge, <laughs> Kitchener, Waterloo. Um, that's that's going to be a hard road to hoe. And then there was some somebody else was mentioning. Um, one of the current Liberal MPPs was saying like a third of our EDAs are like dormant as in like there's no volunteers there's nobody running them there's nobody posting on social media uh no sick memes going around or whatever it is that you do between elections it's just you know so I mean that's the ground game that's the basic ground game and by the way there's a by-election going on right now in Hamilton in case people it it has escaped people's notice it actually escaped my notice i was talking to somebody on the weekend it's like there's a by-election in hamilton right now it's like is there and there is uh it's for andrea horvath's old seat so i mean it's it's going to be pretty hard to to imagine that's going to go to somebody other than the ndp candidate whose name escapes me at the moment but um the, the liberals were one of the last groups to tag in with a candidate it just seems like the a paper candidate it's like well if you can't put in like even a modicum of effort in an off-year election, even if it's for, for a seat you're not likely to win, um, you know, is are are you making a serious play? You know, is is this not a good opportunity to take some ideas, whatever they are, for a test spin? And and even an election like this, where there's literally like nothing to lose, um, they can't get up for it. So again, uh, this is a party that seems to be. Uh, I guess a, a political party without a goal in mind. Like, what do they stand for? What do they want? Like, center left? Okay. Um, I'm pretty sure the NDP is going to be is making that <laughs> same play too. So, um, I, I just I I just think that they need to figure out who they are before they need to figure out who's going to lead them. And it's kind of clear that that's something that's not happening and that no one's interested in. Yeah, I don't think that we're not the conservatives is going to cut it this time. No, that's cut it a lot in the past and in lots of situations, but it's it's just not going to. And I think they're probably suffering from the same problems that all kinds of organizations are suffering from in terms of it's impossible to get volunteers. Yeah, that's not impossible. It's difficult. And I'm not sure if COVID has added another layer to that. It was on the decline already. As we've seen in town, the you know the the, the organization is pin that uh, assigns volunteer placements is gone. Like, yeah. but there's still things. So many organizations need volunteers out there. And as you said too about the inactive writing associations, I think hurts all of them across the board. And you yeah. see it in lots of places where it's like, oh, you know, we we better get somebody. Who should we get? And no, you have to organize all the time. And you know, credit. I would say, in locally at least, credit to the Greens. They're always on. Yeah, they were on before uh, Mike got elected, and it's just a continuous thing. It's just it's constant, even if it's just a few people, even if it's just a core, and yeah. all of the parties have their cores. 
with their writing organizations, or at least they should. But yeah, some of them are just dormant because it's like, well, you know, we always come in fourth. It's like you <laughs> you have to run to win. And you That's were saying right. that too about the places that the liberals need to capture. They also need to like, somehow uh, make make inroads into the rural writings, mm-hmm. right? And or even just the perimeter rule. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you can't, if you can't do that, then you won't win. And that's that's where the conservatives win. Every you just see the blue, even though even though the writings are huge, it just looks like the whole province is blue. Yeah. Whoever wins, you just you just what is that northernmost writing when that when that color turns, it makes it look like the whole province is, is <laughs> swings that way. But it's the you know three thousand yeah. people elect that person, right? Yeah, essentially. Uh, speaking of 3,000 people, uh, 3,000 people who uh, make up two different unions, two different Unifor unions with uh, CN Rail are have vote. They voted to go on strike, essentially. And this were overwhelming strike votes. This was like 97, 98 percent strike. Um, their issues are kind of the same as uh, a lot of unions right now. They want to protect the uh Freedom 55, early retirement date. They want to pr- pr- uh, protect uh, benefits, uh, dental benefits and other, you know, ancillary medical benefits and um, vacation entitlements, too. They want to be able to bank their days like uh, a lot of union agreements allow. But uh, the, the labor disruption, potential labor disruption uh, is giving people some vibes about what happened in. East Palestine, Ohio, last month, where there was that um, burning of the vinyl chloride, this uh, poisonous uh, substance, uh, in order to save the town. They had to burn a train car full of it, which came with its own set of problems. A lot of people are pointing the blame at tired rail workers, not investing enough in rail workers as one of the causes of that uh, derailment. So, you know, it's understandable that people are looking at the situation where you have 3000 CN rail workers saying, Hey, we're not getting the support we need from CN rail and thinking to themselves, uh, maybe are we, you know, maybe some safety concerns about our own, uh, freight rail system here in Canada. For sure. Particularly because these particular locals, Mm-hmm. Which are, I think, it's Unifor One Hundred is trades, mm-hmm. mechanical and repair, and you know, repair is significant, mm-hmm. right? It's that so there, there's a whole ton of unions within CN. It's just the way it works, mm-hmm. and these two are Unifor locals. The other one, I think, is Intermodal, which is the uh, piggyback, the people, the you know, when you lift a a truck onto a train that's called piggyback or they call mm-hmm. it intermodal now because it sounds better i guess <laughs> clerical and other mechanical so when you when you have the mechanics potentially going out then that directly speaks to the east palestine situation mm-hmm. the um engineers in that are, are another local again i believe they're teamsters and it was last year that the the ibw locked out i think they were there's so signals yeah. people that handle the electrical again or another local they were either out or locked out and you know lockout and strike are, are two different things of course and also strike mandate vote and strike vote I've, I've those two tend to get blended together i think people mm-hmm. thought that these folks were going out but it's right it will go out if talks fail yeah but again cn could potentially lock them out which also happens but yeah when i saw that the train the bomb train burning in east palestine I, I was like did they really have to light that up or is that just economics mm-hmm. could you there's, there's no way that you pump this stuff into the cars you can't just pump it out again no it's probably cheaper just to let it 
let it burn, a so-called controlled burn, which has caused no end of toxicity to the air and the water and that. Even though they're being told, oh, everything's fine. Uh, I, I'm just, I, no one believes that that's the case. <laughs> Trump possibly does, who made an appearance, who is probably somewhat, uh, I would say implicated, but involved in the decision that led to like no improvements in the braking systems and trains in the US yeah. at least. Yeah. The braking system goes back to the 19th century. That's mm-hmm. the braking system they're using on modern trains full of modern chemicals. There was a a, a bill that was passed to change braking systems to electronics, so all the cars braked independently, and it got quashed by, hmm, guess who? But of course, what becomes the focus? Pete Buttigieg's uh, inappropriate footwear <laughs> on Fox News. Yeah, sorry, I went from CN to, to East Palestine. <laughs> but they are related because the, the the network rail is so interconnected. It's the main link next to highways to the US and us. And there's you know, CN are down there all the time, CP, and they come up here as well. So those, you know, the safety, which seems to be, it, it's not that it seems to be lagging, it is lagging. Yeah. And when you don't allow workers to get time off or certain amounts of vacation they have to bank vacation because they can't get it because you can't take it because they need you to work those kinds of things then it all adds up there's they're the criteria that add up to it to there being problems yeah and i mean there's there's all kind of problems with the rail system too and just like sort of digging into this idea of like looking at issues with rail um there's that report last month from the transport safety board about the collision in kitchener in 2019 um a a mother and their child getting hit by a go train and and that situation was kind of complicated because there was a cn train a freight train that was i I think it was shunting um but because there were two tracks across the roadway people were focused on the cn train didn't see the go train coming and that's what happened a bunch of people were crossing the railroad tracks thinking that there was just the cn entrance the cn train shunting and did not see the go train was coming too, and uh, unfortunately, uh, the the mother with her child uh, ended up getting struck and killed. Um, that report painted to pointed to the fact that you know, essentially, there's like this confusing confluence of like oversight. It's like the province is in charge of any tracks or of of overseeing safety on any tracks that. Metrolink train, Metrolink's of course being a, like a, a subsidiary of the Ontario government. Um, that's provincial oversight, but the pro- province can outsource to Transport Canada to do the inspections. And this area in, 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 of of Kitchener is like a, a no horn zone or something, so the the train can blow its horn um, as, as a warning, as it's going through this busy intersection, which was crossed a roadway as a train, as a freight train was shunting. And it just seems like from transport, Canada, uh, ministry of transportation, Ontario, region of Waterloo, Metro links, government of Ontario, you have like five different agencies in charge of this one small spec. And it's really hard to pin down like, well, who should be like governing safety over this, this one busy point in this one town, in this big country. And it makes you think, you know, next time you're at a rail crossing, um, and, and people have gotten like really, and you know, I'm thinking about our the the junction area here in town, Edinburgh and Pace, like people are like really kind of fed up with like the shunting and uh, well, our 
willing to like drive through when the 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 signals are flashing if they if they think the way is clear um i think i think the danger here and one of the reasons i want to talk about this is you know beyond the labor issues there there really is strong potential for rail disaster rail accidents happening here and we're almost 10 years from lac magantic too um so I, i just it's something that's kind of been in the back of my mind lately whenever we see a train it's just like we have road crossings we have labor issues our rail system is not as secure as we think it is and i think we need to talk about it more well in terms of local stuff Mm. like train shunting at a local level you know on the highway when they have the the two people that turn the stop and stop and slow yeah there's one lane of traffic trains could do that to talk about 19th century regulations if i understand it right (laughs) somebody could go out there and stand with a flag and be their eyes but they don't do it why because it costs money that's another person's salary yeah back in 2021 there was an activist investor unnamed was whining about the low returns that cn was making so cn came up with this plan to please whoever this is must be a big wheel Mm-hmm. And I will mention, without being conspiratorial, that Bill Gates is the top shareholder of CN. I'm fairly certain on that. <laughs> CN comes up with what they call a full speed ahead plan. And what does that involve? Reducing your operating ratio, cutting capital spending mm-hmm. to improve returns over and over again. It's about the profit motive. And this is one of those stories where business and industry completely collide and as you mentioned there are so many organizations involved in something as simple as does the train go and not hit people believe me if i was the engineer of that train i would have sounded the horn face Mm -hmm. the consequences whatever they may be Mm -hmm. because when you see it when you see it coming right and and engineers people on trains all see people getting hit all the time i mean it's not just in the shunting guard or whatever it happens but the factors are are if you you know weak safety culture any problems in the engineering like they were saying it was the bearings heating up on the train and in on the norfolk southern because if you cut maintenance then you just sort of run the thing and the human factor as well because they're all they're understaffed mm-hmm. it was a movement and we heard about lag magantic just having a train with one person mm-hmm. that's that's just ridiculous and they're, they get longer so they can run more stuff, so they can run more oil or whatever it is. But it's usually it's usually the flammables, um, <laughs> the mushroom cloud. That was some, that's something else. But mm-hmm. And as I said before, as we've talked about it, I in the, uh, 1979, the Mississauga derailment, the rules changed for trains in Canada almost immediately when that happened. Mm-hmm. It's the don't put the stoplight in until the kid gets hit by the car. But people can get hit in in you know to the west of us, and that's that's suppose that's just well you know it's their fault that they didn't stop the the crossing thing was on right yeah and so suppose- yeah it's like there there are ways around there just there's no effort to fix this because it's all about money and it'll be the same in the junction too that's never going to change they said they were going to make changes they told Cam Guthrie the mayor that they were going to or they were going to make improvements. Mm. And then within that same time period, the economics change because of some activist investor. I mean, that's part of it. There's more to it than that, right? But I'm just saying, there's like, you connect the dots between the two. They're not going to spend any money that they don't have to. Well, in the case of the the junction, like the plan that came out last year that the city is funding half and then CNN is funding the other half is like basically like a, 
it, it's it's basically like a safety like a manual switch that because because it's all kind of like motion activated now if something's coming down the track the, the lights go down so if it's like sitting there the lights stay on um even if it's not moving and it doesn't intend to move for like 15 20 minutes it the the, the solution is that basically the engineer has a button in the cab so he presses the button and the, the signals go off if he's not intending to move for a while so but i mean it's all mechanical right and you know it's a four million dollar solution you could have the guy with the flag you're talking about and just to put kind of put a cap on this um last year 2022 uh cnn revenue increased by or cnn i keep saying cnn cn just, revenue yeah. <laughs> increased uh to 17.1 billion 2 billion of that uh was pure profit um so it's the, the money's there you could you could easily pay for the guy with the flag and still buy your new yacht next year uh if you're bill gates anyway uh we're going to take a quick break here and we're going to come back with our interview with mike morris you are listening to open source squelf you're on I almost said CNN, I swear. Uh, this is open sources. <laughs> CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. was too short. She walks home, streetlights illuminating her as a target. But she started it because she looked at him. And he finished it because he wanted to. And they'll bring out her skirt as exhibit A before the judge. And she should have the right to say, Thou shalt not tell me what to wear, nor how to wear it. And that was the specials, not on the chart, but probably should be. They're on my chart all the time. With it, Sophia Khan, who you may recognize that name, was somebody that stood up to some fascists in the UK and had a specials t-shirt on, and the specials said to her, come join our band. And that's one of the products of that merger. The song is called The Ten Commandments of I. Good time. So, uh, you know, fight fascism, join a band. That's the lesson. Maybe the wrong lesson. Anyway. Oh, no, it's the right lesson. <laughs> A topic for another day. <laughs> All right. Uh, to finish up this day, uh, we reached out to uh, Kitchener. We, we, we joking on offline, of course, and this is now going to be online, but uh, we joked about calling Mike Morris the other Mike uh, because he is a green politician, a green elected politician in our area named Mike. That's right. Uh, um, <laughs> I am Mike from the Green Party. Which one? That's right. That's right. Um, but it's been a while since we had Mike Morris on, so uh, we wanted to have him on to chat again. It's nice to get uh, perspectives on the House of Commons and uh, federal politics that don't come from one of the big two parties. And so Mike Morris fits that bill. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, you know dining one party dining with Nazis, another party fighting allegations of Chinese interference, plus. Uh, Mike Morris is a busy guy himself. He's working on private members bills about housing affordability and increasing accessibility, um, both very uh, hot topics uh, in our community as well. So uh, we're going to get the lowdown from the other Mike at the House of Commons. 
<laughs> let's press play on our interview with mike morris right now mike morris thank you so much for joining us again today good to be back thanks for having me uh maybe we can start by talking a little about the mood on parliament hill and i mean it's it's kind of a, a two-way fight right now with conservatives being mad at liberals about chinese election interference uh liberals being mad at conservatives about uh having poor choice of dinner guests um i mean where does that leave uh you know someone like you who's uh kind of not in that slap fight and i mean what's it like it as you're trying to navigate and do people's business yeah well i think this week in particular the partisanship is a bit over the top and the theatrics in question period are uh serving parties more than they're serving uh people and communities right now i think fair enough th- there are justifiable concerns uh, that are that are being raised now. One party seems to f- want to focus on one country only. There are fair concerns about foreign interference across you know multiple j- different jurisdictions around the world, um, and so I've actually joined in those calls. I think we saw some MPs last week attempt to to dispute this, and it doesn't. It, I think the partisan colors show pretty quickly. Uh, so I, I would support uh, a, a public inquiry. But Adam, to your point, it almost seems like yesterday, for example, of the, I think, whatever, you get 40 some odd questions in question period, 37 of them were on the same topic. Mm. And I don't know about you, but people in my community are most concerned about the rising cost of housing, for example, <laughs> and whether we can afford to pay rent. People with disabilities who are living in poverty. There's so much else for us to be uh, focused on right. that, um, yeah, it almost seems like it sucks, it's sucking the oxygen out of the room on on so many other priorities that um, that are top of mind for my neighbors. Yeah, and and is is that kind of? I mean, it makes it kind of difficult because this is these are not unimportant issues too, um, and people should have a right to be concerned that there is election integrity. Um, but at, at the same time, you're right. It, it's not kind of when people put their head on their pillow at the night. It's it's not one of those things that's keeping them up. Yeah, it's it's important. Uh, what I what I'm gleaning though is is that it's actually serving certain parties' mm. political advantage to be focusing on this one topic so explicitly uh, at the expense of of so many others. Um, and that's actually, to me, part of what's really special and a privilege about this role is that as the MP for Kitchener Center, there's such a wide mix of uh, critical uh, priorities for my community that I can be bringing uh, to Ottawa on, given, on any given day. Uh, and that's what I, I seek to do. And so, you know, yesterday, yes, we had uh, some of the CEOs of some of the largest grocery store chains in the country. Um I was able to to uh, to get my question in to those CEOs, but I'm also still advocating that we need mental health funds. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's just important for parliamentarians to be focusing on that with those wide mix of issues that really serve their communities. And unfortunately, the reality is that a lot of the time here we're we're seeing some of the same talking points that uh, that rally the base of certain political parties. Well, let me attack it this way: um, you have a private members' bill that's um, asking the government to call on a, a citizens assembly to look seriously at electoral reform. Um, there's some bipartisan support for that too. You have a number of co-signers from other parties. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, isn't this kind of like maybe a chance, I don't want to say exploit the, the issue, but you know, it's, it's a way of saying, you know, our election system is vulnerable. Maybe we should be open to making some changes. 
Yeah, it's interesting what certain politicians don't talk about when issues like this come up. Um, one of the ways we could solidify our democracy is by making sure that every vote counts. Mm. And if you want to improve the quality of the discourse in Ottawa, I don't know if there's a better way to improve the quality of the discourse than ensuring that we actually have uh, a wider mix of voices represented, a wider diversity of people represented, a form of government that is far more apt towards coalition building and collaboration as opposed to purely adversarial name calling. And so, yeah, you bring up a good point. It, it, we, I proposed uh, this motion long before uh, these calls about foreign interference had been coming into the mainstream media spotlight as much as they have been recently. Um, uh, but certainly, I'm going to continue to be pushing for that and, and pushing for a citizens' as assembly for a few reasons. One, because it depoliticizes it. But two, because of some very astute folks at Fair Vote Canada, which is the civil society organization that's been pushing for electoral reform at the forefront of it. They're the ones who uh, who let my team and I know that that a very similar motion as what I've put forward is going to be on the floor of the Liberal Convention in May. Mm -hmm. And and so, you know, there's an opportunity for all elected Liberal MPs to um, to speak out on this topic in advance of that convention. Uh, that their party is going to be giving a closer look at it. And so we see this as a chance to say, great, your party's talking about it. Let's make sure that our parliament is also talking about it and that MPs from all parties are giving it good consideration. So you'll see in coming weeks, um, spending quite a bit of time building up support from MPs from all parties. And uh, we've got, I think, eight or so uh, folks who have seconded uh, the motion at this point. We can have up to 20 and I'm hoping we'll see an even wider mix of maybe some um, unlikely allies that mm -hmm. uh, you'll see added to that list. Because ultimately, uh, it, you know, what else is more important for improving our democracy than, uh, than, than giving more people trust that their vote actually counts? And we know that so often is the case. You know, in Ontario, for example, I know you spend a lot of time having folks in uh, with respect to that uh, last provincial election. Only 18% of people voted for a party that gets a hundred percent of the power, right? What kind of democracy? Let's let's be honest about where we need to improve our democracy and uh, put in place solutions that would do it. Well, you've been alluding to the housing issue too, and I want to. I definitely want to talk about that, and I, I think I want to start about it this way. Um, all roads kind of lead to the federal government because you know what I see covering this issue is. Uh, at least in Guelph, where we're kind of a single-tier municipality, we have the city. City blames the county. County blames the province. Province blames the feds. And so you're kind of at the the end of the the proverbial blame cycle. Um, so you know, in, in terms of you transitioning from you know community activism to actually having some standing in in the House of Commons, can you just talk a bit about how maybe the ways we talk about housing at the local level doesn't reach the the levels that, that you're currently working in? Well, I think we need all three stepping up. And I'm so done with the whole Spider-Man meme of every level of government pointing at each other and blaming it on them. Um, we've had, and, and federally, there's a significant responsibility. In my view, federally, well, first of all, the federal government has the largest budgets. So in terms of investments, we need the federal government doing more. And the federal government also has really important legislative 
uh, tools at their disposal. I also want to not let off provincial and municipal. Uh, provincially, when it comes to rent control, for example, in Ontario, you can drive a truck through the current loophole and um, it, it really is taking advantage of a lot of tenants across the province. And it's uh, some of these things are more difficult done federally than provincially. Uh, municipally, there's important zoning uh, changes that can be made, although a lot municipally, of course, is, is related to their um, you know, being defined through provincial legislation. As a federal MP, though, the big, the big ones, pushing for more investment. It was in the early 90s that, that we saw less and less federal and provincial investment in co-op housing and non-market housing. We need to push for far more non-market housing investment that's predictable. Right now, things like the Rapid Housing Initiative are one-offs. They're not predictable. They're not permanent. Um, and, and, and so it's difficult for anyone to plan around that. And then there's all kinds of legislation that is that is turning the housing market into one that serves com- uh, investors who see housing as a commodity, as opposed to what we want, which is that homes should be places for people to live. Um, one of those examples that that nonprofits uh, from Acorn to the Social Development Center of Waterloo Region, all the way up to that Office of the Federal Housing Advocate, uh, have been calling out, is that one of these corporate investors, the Real Estate and Investment Trust, uh, well, they don't pay taxes at the at their trust level at all. Only the unit holders uh, mm. pay taxes, and so. One of the reforms I've been calling for and seeking support across party lines is like, could we not at least agree that these corporate investors who aren't building new units, they're buying up existing, often renovating, often leading to people being evicted, and then raising rents on the backs of you know low-income people in my community, um, shouldn't they at least pay their taxes? Mm-hmm. And if they did, we could use those funds to then have more to invest in the non-market housing I was talking about. Think of the, the, the three strongest non-profit housing providers in Guelph. I can name you my three in Waterloo Region, and let's get them more funding to build more of the housing we do need. Um, so, yeah, I strongly believe that this crisis needs to be addressed boldly and decisively by all levels of government. I'm so frustrated when I hear the minister talking again about, oh, we need to do more studies. Well, come on. This is, um, there's plenty of civil society organizations who've done the studies. Uh, I think what's more important at this point is, is for elected people to be reading those studies, finding where there is common ground, and, uh, and moving forward on those to the best interest of Canadians. Instead, we've got some people here who are just attacking the governing party without giving any solutions at all, just to play up to their voting base or to attract people who, are, who have that similar anger. Well, I think for those who are angry about the housing crisis, let's propose solutions to address it. I think along with that, though, I, I think one of the things I deal with is just the sheer complexity of the problem. Like who's responsible for what, you know, bylaws, uh, zoning, uh, you know, the money, you know, who, who controls the money and things. And I think one of the things... And I'll come at this from the point of view, and maybe you've heard this from your constituents, is why doesn't just the federal government just, you know, buy up some land, build a bunch of houses, make them rent geared to income, and just start making affordable housing for people? I mean, what are the barriers there? 
Well, first of all, I think we should see more of that from the federal government. But this is where governments could be working together. If a municipal government has surplus land, it's going to be far more cost effective to have federal funds invested in building on that existing municipally owned land. Now, the trick is, let's ensure that that development is non-market so that we can trust that it's going to stay affordable. Let's make sure that that's a co-op unit getting built or that's getting built by a non-market housing provider. Um, because often what ends up happening is, is then it gets built by a for-profit developer and uh, any kind of affordability criteria are out the window. Um, so yeah, that, that's one approach. Uh, um, if we think about where the federal government dollars will go the furthest to get the most people housed, if it was that simple, I think it would be done already. Mm. Uh, I think we should be seeing governments working together uh, and taking responsibility. Um, and I'm I'm seeing local governments, I can say in Kitchener and Waterloo Region, who are stepping up. Um, I'd like to see provincial and federal governments do far more. To your point, though, um, it's difficult to do that big, broad thing that I think a lot of people would like to see. But on the other hand, and, and you've experienced this, because I, I read about your you know, sort of trying to get these rights, uh, the REITs, um, yeah. um, kind of uh, under, you know, some sort of more broader regulation, getting them reined in. You can't even, you know, and, and this was mentioned in one of your newsletters, or it was on your website, I was reading something about it, but you, you, you were talking about essentially getting the feeling like you got the cold shoulder from the Minister of Housing about this. And it seems like a real simple thing. A couple of strokes of the pen and, you know, the the tax act and you know away we go we've you know managed to to rein this in and and maybe create new funding opportunities and it seems like we can't do the big stuff but we can't do the small stuff either if you know what i mean yeah that's partly my interest with this motion is i've been really honest i'm not saying that this on its own is going to solve the housing yeah. crisis <laughs> but 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 small but meaningful measures like this taken together will have a significant dent and like all we're calling for Mm. is is to treat REITs like other corporations are treated, which, again, is actually not good enough. We know that it was $30 billion in 2021 in corporate tax loopholes and avoided taxes. So we need to do better on, on corporate taxation writ large. But can't we also start with those that we know are already leading towards an acceleration of the housing crisis that we're in, uh, isn't it reasonable to say let's just get rid of a, a loophole that 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 has them avoiding taxes? And so, yeah, it has been frustrating to hear back from the Minister of Housing that that he feels we need more studies on this. He put forward legislation, the National Housing Strategy Act, that created uh, a federal housing advocate. That very advocate is calling to remove the loophole. Mm -hmm. So, like, at what point do you realize that? Like uh, we 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 obviously need more political pressure. We need more people and more um, communities across the country telling their MP uh, to to support meaningful uh, and reasonable measures like Motion Seventy One that would tax the REITs. And so, you know, if folks who are listening are you know whether it's whether whether they're living in Guelph or across the country, feel free to write your MP. Uh, you can read more about this particular motion. If you go to my website, it's just mikemorrismp.ca. Click on blog at the top. There's a whole piece on it where I, I make the case. Um, and really, it's 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 really just amplifying 
what nonprofits have been calling for. My team and I just did the research over the course of the last summer to 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 put forward something that we thought we would be able to get cross-party support for based on what housing advocates have been calling for for so long. And this is just one of the really obvious ones. Tying into this too, and this is another piece you're kind of working on, the the national disability benefit. You know, isn't isn't another way to attack this to make sure that uh, people aren't living on the margins, that they have, you know, money that they can use to pay for shelter and, and food and to, to live more comfortably? We, we need both. We need both. Before we shift over to income supports, I think it's important to point out that if we're just letting landlords take advantage of tenants right. and uh, unreasonably increase rents without any provisions in place to control that and without sufficient non-market housing that's actually focused on people ahead of profit, we might never get there. But right. both are important. And that's why the disability benefit has been such a... Um, uh, a, a critical uh, piece of work that for those who feel like nothing happens in Ottawa, well, I think the disability community is, is is teaching our country how advocacy can lead towards a significant result uh, that, you know, within the span of a year and a half, and of course the advocacy has been even longer than that, but in, in, in the last year and a half, we went from a petition I put forward that was championed by uh, Disability Without Poverty, got 18,000 signatories to it, MPs signed a joint letter, senators signed a joint letter, we got the bill uh, to be reintroduced, uh, we then put pressure for it to get moved to committee, um, the disability community suggested amendments, um, nine of them were uh, approved, uh, I'd be happy to chat more about those if you'd like to, but we've been able to see the legislation fast-tracked, improvements made to the bill, now we need to keep the pressure up to get it funded uh, and, and and to get the regulations finished uh, so that people in communities across the country living with disabilities can be lifted out of poverty. That's the opportunity in front of us. We can cut poverty by 40% mm. if every person with a disability was provided a guaranteed income. This act won't accomplish that. There are some limitations to it, uh, but it'll, it'll get us a significant uh, progress towards it. Yeah, and, and uh, people in Ontario understand that if you're on ODSP, you're making $700 a month, and that's that was a rate set in the 1990s, uh, not in the, the 21st century. <laughs> yeah, the, the ODSP numbers that, uh, that, I, that I have is, is the shelter allowance is actually less than the number you just shared. The shelter mm-hmm. allowance is less than 500. The total mm-hmm. for an income, a, a, a single person, is, is just under 1,200 now. And that's that's below the poverty line. So that's why I think it's important that we call it what it is. It's legislated poverty. Mm-hmm. That's an embarrassment in a country as yeah. prosperous as ours, that we mm-hmm. would have legislation that leaves someone living in poverty. It's obviously still the case. And uh, we got a chance to fix it. Let me sort of bring this around to a close. Um almost kind of bringing a full circle with all the talk about election interference and and this and that i think there's there's a feeling that um we may not be too far from an election and i'm not going to ask you to speculate about an election but in terms of how hard you work to get to ottawa and how hard you're working now is there a feeling maybe you can you can confirm or deny but is there a feeling like you have to use all of this time as best you can, as wisely as you can to get as much done as you can, because, you know, you might, this, this might be 
your only time is is that how you're playing politics right now a hundred percent cards on the table uh so i might have shared last time i was on the show it's um asha is a is is a, is a great good friend of mine she uh co-managed both campaigns and is now the the uh, director of our staff team and uh, in in the days after the election what asha and i said to one another is that our goal here is going to be to do as much good as we can for as long as we can and i just got out of a conversation <laughs> earlier today uh with a member of our team and and we reset that as we were talking about another campaign that we were in in the midst of um that's exactly I, that's what I promised my community. I said three things that I can promise. Mm. I'm 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 going to work hard. I'm going to be honest, and and I'm and I'm 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 going to ensure that my efforts are working towards the things that we care about on the priorities of our community. Mm-hmm. And I'll be respectful in doing it. That's what I hope to continue to live out for as long as. Um, as as this parliamentary session continues for, and whenever they call an election, um, I I will leave that with folks in Kitchener for what they've seen of the work that my team and I have done to to fight for their interests in a respectful way, in an honest way, and with every ounce of energy we've got. <laughs> Well, um, we could continue this on, but we li- did literally catch Mike between meetings, so we'll have to let him go for today. But uh, hopefully we'll get you on again soon, Mike. Until then, thanks for so thanks so much, Rabbit, for uh, coming on the show. Adam, I so appreciate you for doing this. I think when it comes to getting meaningful conversations about our democracy, it's on in conversations like this that it happens. So thanks so much for having me back again. For those uh, listening, if you want to follow along, whether you go to MikeMorrisMP.ca on social media, my handle is at Morris Mike. Morris is spelled a bit differently. It's M-O-R-R-I-C-E. Um, but uh, yeah, thanks again, Adam, for having me back. And I'd, uh, I'd love to do it again over the coming months and years. Thanks again. Thank you. And once again, that was Mike Morris, who's uh, keeping it real up in the house of commons i was going to try and remember off the top of my head what the area code for ottawa is but it's i i I, i'm not i'm not that quick whatever it is yeah ottawa way the capital the capital the capital region sure (laughs) all right no it's i'm not sure okay the ottawa oh it is the three six one three i forgot oh the six one three yes yeah the six one three anyway uh problem solved and that's our problem of the week anyway uh <laughs> we're gonna close this up open sources uh stay connected to our website at opensourcesguelph.com we're on facebook at open sources newswire and we're on twitter at os underscore guelph if you would like to listen to this show again you can download it from our website every monday you can get it through the guelph politicast channel on podbean or get it through your favorite app like Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. You can find me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, or check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And I'm Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Twitter, and Mastodon, the other Twitter. And if you're joining, if you're joining us at our normal time on the FM, stay tuned for Turtle Island Underground. Yes, and that is one of the many great programs that you can hear here on CFRU 93.3 FM cfru.ca guelph campus and community radio for us we're going to take the next seven days off and be here next thursday at 5 p.m for another edition of open sources and we will of course 
See you then. 